By now you must know your father can never be turned from the dark side. So will it be with you. You're wrong. Soon I'll be dead. And you with me. <laughs> Perhaps you referred to the imminent attack of your rebel fleet. Yeah. I assure you, we are quite safe from your friends here. Your overconfidence is your weakness. Your faith in your friends is yours. Now witness the firepower of this fully armed and operational John Cena! Real-Time Strategy Podcast, the new product from the Center for International Maritime Security, touching on security, defense, history, and simulations from the TV to your tabletop. We figure that SimSec often talks about things that are real, you know, history, current events, uh, but really so much of what we we think about and what we learn comes from simulations, and I, and I think subconsciously or consciously, a lot of those do come from, from games and, and video games and that kind of stuff, and so we bring you this as sort of our way to look uh, a little bit, a lot of popular culture, a lot of popular games, and try to discuss it from a uh, defense and uh, security angle, and this week uh, we bring you obviously the global phenomena, phenomenon, phenomenon that is Star Wars. So yes, the movie is probably coming out the week that uh, we put up this podcast. Uh, but we're not talking about the movie as amazing as it had better be, unless uh, George Lucas and a few others want their houses burned down. Uh, but we are talking about Battlefront, the video game. So it is a first-person shooter, uh, kind of a mix uh, between stuff like uh, Call of Duty and uh, Battlefield, where there's a little bit of vehicle play and that kind of stuff, but uh, we'll get into that uh, after this uh, short break with a word from my wife. SimSec brings you the best content on maritime security, technology, history, and international affairs. And, like the United States, SimSec is and always will be free. Sign up to become a member today by visiting www.cimsec.org/about/membership, which gets you daily emails of our articles and a WordPress account that sends your own writings directly to our editorial staff. However, admin, special projects, software, events, and prizes do cost money. There is a new option to make a voluntary monthly donation at the bottom of every SimSec article. 
No matter how you choose to support us, those who volunteer for leadership, our amazing content producers, our readers, our listeners, our conference planners and attendees, and our financial benefactors, we are incredibly grateful. Remember, Sea Control is more than just a podcast, and SimSec is more than just a website. We are a vibrant community built on a passion for discovery and discussion. Sign up, write, donate, comment, or even leave five stars on our iTunes page. Join us today. So we are here today with Crispin Burke, Brett Perry, Henry Lucien Gautier, and a new face to the group, co-author of Ghost Fleet, August Cole. So you know what, August, uh, we'll let everybody go through and introduce themselves, but we'll start with you. Hey, thanks for uh, having me on. I've been uh, playing this game badly uh, pretty much since it came out. It was a gift from my brother, so he and I could play together. He lives in New York. I live in Boston, and uh, it's been a, a lot of fun. It has a lot of the same uh, engine, it seems like, and kind of movements sort of the, the uh, Battlefield games. And, uh, you know, the fact that you can finally, like, fly an X-Wing, I think for a lot of us, fulfills that dream that has been uh, latent for many years when we entered the adult world and read serious books from political science or policy or whatever. Uh, and, you know, this just helps validate that, that role that science fiction can have in our lives in a day-to-day sense. And right now I'm telling my kids that I'm playing video games for my job. There you go. So what's, uh, what's a little bit of, it of your background, August? So I started out you know, as a journalist and uh, then uh, essentially got to a point in that career where I decided that I really wanted to try fiction. Uh, and so I quit working at the Wall Street Journal to stay home. Uh, one of my uh, daughters had just been born and work on uh, a novel that actually never got published, but it led to me to work with uh, Pete Singer to work on another book called Battle, uh, excuse me, not Battlefront, Ghost Fleet. Sorry, I'm playing while talking. <laughs> and uh, so Ghost Fleet's a novel uh, imagining what a third world war would look like, uh, really exploring this really big question about the future of the Pacific and China and America's destinies together. And so we took uh, my co-writer and I, uh, Peter Singer, a look at the different domains that you'd see in a, in a, in a early 21st century global conflict. We looked at see air and land but also space and cyber as uh, real domains and what I, what I think is interesting about this game is that you know you obviously have the rebel side you can play and we really tried in that book to turn a lot of assumptions and uh kind of frameworks uh, on their heads so we got to really spend time while we were writing it as american insurgents in hawaii or to spend time as uh, pla navy commanders trying to figure out how we would repel a uh, an American assault on territory we'd seized in the Pacific, and so, you know, you, you can you can really I think learn a lot actually from that kind of I don't know if you can call it red teaming or what, but you know, being able to sit on the other side of the table so to speak, um, and I think that's something that the games let us do, right? I mean, you know, more and more games are letting us play from different storylines, different narratives, different perspectives. You know, players that have almost different values and, and ways of. Uh, in many cases, first-person shooter games, ways of fighting. So uh, I, I see games as a big part of that, and uh, Go Sleep would be a great video game someday. Just uh, putting that out there, if there are any uh, AAA game uh, developers out there listening to this podcast, no. No such a lot. I, I should <laughs> I'll also say, you know, too, it, it's great to be doing this, you know, as my work at the Atlantic Council as the uh, director of the Art of Future Warfare Project. You know, we uh, take video games very seriously. You know, Dave Anthony, who directed Call of Duty Black Ops 1 and 2 as a fellow, in fact, which is a very uh, unique thing for a think tank. And uh, others who are in that science fiction and, and kind of future forecasting world are, are kind of coalescing around the work we're doing, like Max Brooks, who wrote World War Z. He's now also a, a fellow as well. And, uh, you know, we plan in, in 2016 to be doing a lot more work in and around video games. 
Bingo. All right, Lucian, go ahead. Uh, hold on, I just died. Okay. Um, yeah, Lucian Goth here, uh, member of USNI's editorial board, enlisted sailor, and um, you guys, if you guys have been listening so far, you got the rest of my biography, so it's nice to be back. Awesome. All right, Brett. Sorry, just got shot, but um, no, Brett Perry, uh, one of the other usual uh, suspects. I work in D.C. on uh, at a defense consulting firm that really looks at kind of defense platforms and systems. So I've done a lot of stuff with kind of electronic warfare and uh, rail guns and a bunch of other cool stuff. So um, as always, the views that I the views that I say today do not represent the views of any other organization. So. I'm looking forward to being back. Okay, and Crispin. Yes, my name is uh, Crispin Burke. I'm an Army aviator stationed at Fort Bragg. Um, I've been a video game player for uh, pretty much all of my life, starting with my uh, first computer, an Atari 800XL, back in 1984. I actually have not been a Star Wars fan my entire life. I really uh, first got into Star Wars in kind of like that second generation of Star Wars fandom, uh, about the time that Heir to the Empire and uh, the video game X-Wing uh, came out. Um, X-Wing was really kind of my introduction to the Star Wars universe, and uh, it's kind of been my uh, uh, not-quite-obsession. Well, yes, obsession, I, I should say that. I did buy tickets to opening night uh, ever since. So um, I'm glad to be here. This is my second podcast with all of you, and uh, look forward to playing with all of you. Awesome. And then finally you have me, Matthew Hipple, president of uh, SimSec, and somewhat bumbling and maybe slightly useful podcast host over on uh, C-Control. And uh, today we are talking about, as uh, some folks have mentioned, Star Wars Battlefront. So um, instead of starting it off myself, because I'm trying to get out of a rut here, I keep getting murdered. I I don't know if it's the new TV or what, but I just cannot kill somebody right now. Uh, Who wants to jump in? Kind of initial, uh, initial thoughts, initial observations. Well, my game just ended, so I won't be so distracted, so perhaps me. Um, uh, so yes, yeah, Star Wars Battlefront, um, third incarnation of the game series. Uh, not third. my favorite incarnation. Yes, yes, it is the third. The first Battlefront came out in 2004, and it was awesome because of all the bots they put in the game. So very limited a- uh, actual players, but lots and lots of bots running around. It wasn't uncommon for me to get a 60 kill count in those <laughs> games. Um, then the second one came out, I think, two years later, and that's when they introduced the heroes again. Um, so you could actually play as a Jedi, um, but it was only Jedi heroes. Um, and in that one, you could play as Yoda, and Yoda's character was virtually uncontrollable. You would fly around as a little ball with a lightsaber, essentially, and just whack things with it. But it was incredibly effective, just the same. And then uh, there was actually the what was to be the third version of this game, was actually an aborted effort right around the time that Disney acquired um, the rights to Star Wars. And then to much exaltation, DICE announced that they would be finishing up this game with a pretty awesome promo commercial as well. I remember it vividly because it just showed a a stormtrooper's helmet um, sitting on a bench and looking scarred. And then all you see is this body run by grab the helmet, put it on, and then you got a little bit of the gameplay by looking through the the visor, so to speak, on the Stormtrooper's helmet. So uh, and with this game, they're also doing the uh, promotional work for the upcoming movie where you can actually play on the Battle of Jakku, 
and they're calling it Graveyard of the Giants, if I'm correctly. I've only seen the the, the title for it a few hmm. seconds ago, um, but having played through that battlefield once already, it looks pretty epic. Lots of uh, AT-AT uh, husks laying around, having been destroyed, and what looks to be a recently shot down um, uh, Star Destroyer, Imperial class actually, Star Destroyer, um, with engines still looking like they're on. They're still kind of glowing. That so, probably means everyone has cancer. Yes, it probably does. I, yes. I saw a few commercials with those battles, and you've got all these what are most likely you know, some kind of fusion spacecraft, lots of glowing engines and parts everywhere. And I'm thinking, why are any of you fighting? Like, you're all dead. Like, you're, you're in, in a matter of hours, you will have no hair or something like that. Like, this, this battle's done now. Right. Oh, well. <laughs> there's, still, there's still hope. Go ahead. I think it bears mentioning how, uh, similar to what Crispin said, uh, I've not been a lifelong Star Wars fan. It was actually Star Wars video games that got me into the franchise, uh, namely speaking, the original Knights of the Old Republic video games and just the narrative that came from that is what really drew me in uh to the games themselves so more so than especially like um it's parallel star trek um the the star wars narrative has been carried forward through alternate forms of media besides either television or movies and that's in both video games and books um so i think that's an important part to note of how star wars has developed its narrative it's in, is August here. You know, it's an interesting thing to play this game because when I think back about the original films, especially the first two, uh, you know, you have a real sense of what good and evil are, right? They are very clearly articulated. In the games, you know, it's a different storytelling, you know, tool. It's a different kind of experience. And that this generation that's not going to know this 1977 film, uh, thankfully it's not going to know the remakes, or not the remakes, but the more recent ones, but we'll kind of through J.J. Abrams' film rediscover the cinematic side, but... You know, this is the challenge with the games. Like, how do you kind of introduce those moral choices that really define, like, what the Rebel Alliance, you know, would do to win and what, you know, Darth Vader would do to kind of help the Imperial, you know, force retain its, uh, retain its control. And, and I, you know, these are very tactical games. And I, I don't know what you guys, uh, you know, think about kind of the strategic elements of it. Um, cause it has to be obviously entertaining. You can play for a couple hours or an hour and, and drop off. But, you know, th- that challenge, like, when you look at Metal Gear, where you're doing both kind of high level, but also very, uh, kind of discrete, specific tasks right. is a really interesting balance that I almost wish this game had. Well, you do, um, if you're into the Star Wars games, and uh, I don't know if we can open it up to uh, other Star Wars games in this forum, but um, I believe it was the, uh, what is it, um, Forces of Corruption, that, that sort of a trilogy where you had a kind of a strategic view of the galaxy, and then you also had a tactical view with, um, it wasn't a first-person shooter, but it was uh, almost a strategy um, or an operational art with ships. Empire at War? Yes, Empire at War. Um, I played that thing uh, religiously uh, for many, many hours, and it was good to, you know, just like many other strategy games, I know it uh, borrowed a lot of elements from uh, that, but uh, you know, it was good to control it from the strategic down to the, the, the operational level. Um, and also, I think uh, when you talk about the moral choices, um, obviously Star Wars, uh, especially the uh, original movies, are a very good versus evil narrative. The, the good guys are very obviously good. The bad guys are very obviously bad. Um, it's a little more, more blurred when you get to the Clone Wars, um, and that's when the Star Wars universe gets a little more complex. Um, I think it's more of a function of uh, just the complexity as the, as the series matures. Um, and I think as we get into the, the upcoming movies, uh, Rogue One, uh, which I think is coming out next year. 
Uh, then we'll see even more uh, nuance with the Rebel Alliance. You know, what does it mean to be an insurgent? Uh, kind of exploring it from that Battlestar Galactica perspective. Um, you're not necessarily a freedom fighter. You could be an insurgent, and it's all a matter of perspective. Like, the, the truths we cling to depend greatly upon our own point of view, as a, I think a Greek philosopher said that. Right. Um, I, think, I think definitely, though, um, we can say that the the prequels are uh, garbage and don't count at all in any sort of narrative <laughs> about these things because, yeah, there's a little bit more nuance, but there's lots of nuance in something that, like, makes no sense whatsoever. Hey, so is it nuance I mean, or is it just, like, lots of random crap thrown into it? Now, now I hope, I hope The Force Awakens sort of takes what maybe was an intent. I don't even know if it was an original intent, but uh, and, and tries to kind of flesh some of that out because even in the fictional series, uh, in the movies, it seems very good and evil, and it absolutely is. There, is. there is an evil side and there is a good side, but then in the books, you know, it turns out that the Emperor may have been trying to prepare the galaxy for a war against some sort of crazy extra galactic force that the rebellion is absolutely not prepared for you know all all these other things where he said okay these guys were 70 percent evil but it seems like uh, they kind of had some some good you know there there was some good intent there too it wasn't completely <laughs> evil and then you know the rebellion which seems so good is also often really 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 incompetent and, like, makes a complete mess of things. So if it's going to be that kind of nuance, good. If it's going to be Jar Jar Binks kind of nuance, then I'm done with this thing forever. Because I'll tell you what, the the trailers, um, the trailer for Force Awakens and kind of watching the old films uh, again have almost sort of reminded me that maybe as an adult it's time to shift from Star Wars to Star Trek, or Star Trek to Star Wars, because I started out, as a Star Trek guy, I love Star Trek, but when it comes to sort of political nuance and different parties, and this is, of course, in the fictional, in, in the book series that, that took the movies and expanded them, there's a lot more different politics, there's a lot more sort of historical, there's way more different kinds of races and technologies and perspectives. It's, the Star Wars universe is definitely far more rich. Uh, I think to make these kinds of narratives in a way that that's something well, like maybe Star Trek isn't. I I gotta disagree, namely especially in regards to the Star Trek universe because of DS9, Deep Space Nine. Duh. <clears throat> yeah, you go and say Duh. that, but that was like, you want you want to talk about nuance? Well, the, the decisions that uh, Captain Sisko had to make, being the strategic director of the Dominion War, he literally had to have a Romulan senator murdered, plant evidence to frame the Dominion, bring the Romulan war, which turned the tide in the war and won the war for the Federation Alliance. So that nuance does exist within the Star Trek universe. Um, but in, in regards to the Star Wars universe, where we're talking about obvious examples of good and evil, black and white, and not really having so much nuance, I, w- I, would, I would put forward that that black and white only exists among the elite in the Star Wars universe, the Jedi and the Sith, whereas the, 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 the teeming masses caught in the middle of the Jedi, or the, yeah, the Jedi Civil War, which is essentially what the Sith Jedi, uh, battles amount oh, that's to. That's a good point. That's where the, that's where the nuance exists between. You're, I'd never you thought about that. mean you look at it as, as sectarian violence, basically. Right. Ah. On, on, a, on a grand scale. Exactly, on a galactic scale. Yeah. And okay. with, with telekinesis. Which makes it better. <laughs> 
And even well, when, I mean, even even in even in the, the the lives of the everyday masses, um, and I look at your everyday masses as like your Han Solo's uh, pre episode four. I mean, there is nuance. They're trying to make their way in a world, not taking sides. And I mean, that's eighty percent of an insurgency, as T. E. Lawrence said. Eighty percent of the insurgency is just looking to make their own way. Ten percent are committed to one end, and ten percent are committed to the other end. When you look at any um, insurgency, which the, the which basically the Galactic Civil War was, or even in national movements. I mean, Germany in the thirties, right? I mean, if you look at that book, Hitler's Willing Executioners, you know, talking about the kind of middle classes role in that phase in Germany's history. I mean, that that is a theme that is, I think, consistent. Not to bring this back to World War II. Here's an idea. Here's an idea. Let's actually talk about this game that we're all playing because I think we've we've segued (laughs) heavily. Everyone's like, yo, okay. I just died and crashed into a canyon. Let me me ask a question. Okay, so you're playing Uh, the fighter one too. The fighter is fun. I I, I had to admit I'm a little bit biased towards the fighter game aspect of it. And it's good to see I did kind of prefer the uh, Battlefront 2 fighter battles where you could actually – uh, play in space, and then land cool. inside that the hangar, the and thing. then fight inside the hangar. Well, I mean, we were talking about, you know, how the prequels were s***y <laughs> earlier, but, uh, <laughs> I mean... It's true, I mean, no, it's true. I, 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 I mean, from a near, near perspective, You guys want yes, some pizza but... rolls? I got, a, I got a trade war. Hey, you guys, you guys got a blockade, now I'm going to kill you with my lightsaber. Like, what is going on in this movie? Hey, but, I mean, with, <laughs> I mean, we, 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 I mean, you got so much more exposure to kind of the... The, the clones and the stormtroopers and you know i mean they had the gunships i mean it was it was from kind of that like tactical cool looking was, things in it okay yeah I yeah mean, it, you kind of saw this kind of mobile airborne kind of drop shock force you know roll in roll out i mean i, I thought that was kind of cool i mean everything else was yeah and, and a lot of those uh those, those clone drop ships were modeled after uh real world helicopters uh the the clone uh basically the gunship was modeled after the hind and the cargo one was modeled after the uh uh, CH-54 Tarhi, and they and George Lucas actually used uh, footage of helicopters landing to uh, make those scenes. So they, I mean, they really are. When he uh, described it, he said it was the Jedi assault helicopter. It's it's interesting that Lucas would model off of a uh, hind. You know, you'd think you know, yes. as an American, he'd be like, okay, Blackhawk or you know, Chinook. Yeah, well, I mean, the hind is a very um, capable. Yeah. It's it's it's, perfor- it's performance is a little bit uh, skosh, especially in high altitude. That I mean, that's one thing that really got it. But it's just an evil looking helicopter. Yeah. It is. And it's, 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 very, it's very function over form, right? I mean, I think that's one yes. of the, the yeah. things Yeah, it's that, like, I'm going to burn that. down this Afghan village, and then, oh, look, I mean, it's, it's, I've it's got crude. Spetsnaz in the back, so when I'm done burning it down, we can kind of land and see if there's any uh, orphan survivors. Well, I mean, you're kind of limited, okay? It's a very under heavy, underpowered, I mean, you can really only carry the rockets or the Spetsnaz when you get down to it. I mean, I know they advertise really? that you could do both, but... uh. Yeah, it's it's really uh, so, it's some really guys in Africa were were doing some crazy things with them. I mean, they would put PKMs oh, on yeah. the doors, and mm-hmm. they would you know, and, and they'd load up just hydras. And I mean, I didn't know that. Interesting. I got a question for you guys. When you play, do you play from the perspective where the screen is as if you're looking out the helmet, or do you actually watch like the figure, you know, move and and shoot? on the uh, screen because it's a really interesting like you know kind Wait, of what? experience it's, it's very different like That's if you hit the, I can do? On the on the d-pad uh the bottom button yeah you change pers- now with the with what does auto lock no i i go to first person perspective when i'm when i'm uh playing first like a shooter yeah i'm the same i can't hit anything really from third person i mean i mean third person is cooler and you get better situational awareness because you can 
kind of see your flanks easier, but it's harder to aim, at least for me. Huh. Well, you know what? I, let's let's start getting into these game mechanics, too. So one of the things... Well, you talked about Halo last time, and I think we spoke about this a little bit. One of the things that drives me absolutely up a wall about Halo is that there's like these 30-second dueling matches where we're dancing around one another in the middle of a frickin' field because we've got infinite amounts of shields and we're shooting all kinds of different guns at one another. And in this game, it's it's very much like, and I think we're talking about the elites versus the uh, the normal people. If you're one of the normal folks in this in this game, then you're you know you're gonna take two or three laser hits like you're done, which seems pretty reasonable considering the giant plastic shield I'm also wearing. But I, I kind of like how this game, um, you you have a certain mortality. Your character has a certain mortality to it. That doesn't exist in a lot of these other games where you're just pumping a thousand bullets into people. There's this question of like overmatch too. I think that you know when you play these games infrequently because we have real jobs, um, yeah. you know you are at a constant disadvantage. So you have to play almost in a different way, or at least accept that you're going to be knocked down and starting over again and again and again. And that that like is an interesting paradigm in and of itself to suck. You know, as sort of a a, a the precondition of your experience is that you will be at a disadvantage and that yet can you still like play and survive uh that that is something i think that is really interesting in kind of a 21st century warfare perspective too just to put yourself on that point of view because it makes you play and think differently oh yeah i mean definitely i mean it's uh i mean you look at some of these real conflicts and you know on one side you have you know i mean like i mean you've trained u.s guys who have fired thousands or tens of thousands of rounds of ammunition and done a bunch of you know drilling versus you know, guys who are kind of just thrusted into the conflict and don't really, I mean, they they just don't have as much training. I, I find it unfortunate that they chose the Call of Duty model of leveling up to get your weapons and stuff for this yeah. game because, as, as was mentioned a second ago, if you're a casual player, um, you're, you're at a distinct disadvantage to those who can devote all the time necessary to completely level up their characters. And you can't even buy your way in. You know, which is another interesting yeah. element, which is well, more real good, world, right? Like you just, yes, yeah. I mean, the, I mean the, the, well, is it, I the EVE know. Online, the Star Citizen approach, or... Right. Except I mean, with Star Citizen, you, you buy and you don't get anything. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so true. It's, Star Citizen is the F-35 of video games. They, they keep oh, pumping man. money into it, and hey, nothing's working. Is, is it the F-35, or... No, I was going to say LCS, but... No, I think F-35 is... Look, we're example. going to get LCS <laughs> you know, the to funny work, thing is, I, 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 mean, I mean, both the LCS and the F-35 died a horrible death in your book, August. Yeah. Come on, now. Well, I mean, I, I think the, the thing we were trying to do is, <laughs> like... And, and I am in no way ashamed to say that. <laughs> the, it's uh, funny, because if you would actually tell the people that make Star Citizen that their game is the F-35, you know, they'd Google picture they're like oh this is awesome this is totally what we want to be i mean you know look you have to test assumptions and you know the more you invest and kind of commit to a concept the more you have to really think through is it actually viable and that i think there are too many instances where we're betting on things working as we want them to uh, because that validates you know programs validates uh, positions politically otherwise uh that you know we we're not actually prepared to i think really encounter an, uh, an environment where Literally nothing will go our way. It, maybe it's dynamic, you know, it may not be uh, constantly, but there, there will be that, you know, six hour, 24 hour, 48 hour, you know, phase where literally nothing to. And that, that's a very difficult thing to model out. I mean, fiction does that really well. I think video games uh, can do that well. But as we pointed out, it's 
really hard when everyone else has this overmatch. You know, they have more leveled up, uh, you know, access to different technologies. Um, it's a kind of humbling experience from a video game player's perspective. Um, the the overmatch may exist, but I mean, since when has overmatch really been the deciding factor? Like, okay, someone's got a vaguely better weapon than I. And it's not like Call of Duty where I'm just calling in, you know, lasers from space and helicopters and dogs to kill people. Like, all right, you've got access to a slightly better jump pack. I can still shoot you. I can still maneuver myself more effectively uh, than you can. I can still have better situational awareness. I'd say that a lot of uh, of what they give you in this game is, is kind of fun. It gives you some flexibility, but it definitely doesn't put other players kind of beyond the pale of anyone in a way that I'd say is unrealistic. It's a good question to ask, too. I think, like, how much time is it worth spending from a training or kind of, you know, skills perspective to be in that denied environment? I mean, again, as a civilian trying to kind of reconcile this question, like, what is, you know, you obviously need to train for the way you want the world to work, but at the same time, there is the reality that you may face. So so what is that balance? Like, how do you, how do you think about that? And particularly the experience of games, which lets you simulate some of this and kind of a, a lower cost, you know, way to do that. Well, training, training is primarily for discipline and for training standards so that when the unexpected occur, occurs, uh, there's a greater sense of adaptability there. If you know, if, if a sailor is trained to firefighting standards, a sailor knows what its equipment, what their equipment can do, a sailor knows what to anticipate from a type of fire, a type of casualty, the sailor walks into a chaotic situation already prepared to start adapting from there, to start calling audibles, um, depending on what they actually walk into in combating a casualty. Uh, the same with a, uh, a, a naval tactical scenario. Um, uh, the, the CIC uh, watch team trains for certain scenarios that are the most anticipated scenarios, and those scenarios then prepare them to, to understand how uh, the world can deviate from that. So I don't think we necessarily train to real-world standards that – only prepare us for a set piece match. We actually train to make our minds more adaptable and to recognize uh, things that are out of the norm uh, more, much more often. Or at least that's that's the hope. You know, the training is is there to to give you tools to be able to respond to things rather than hey, if there is a fire here, this is the list of of things that you are supposed to do. Right, right. I mean, not even tools, but when you get to simulations, it's kind of, it, it's, uh, it kind of gets down to the, the feelings, or it's like, okay, you know, if this happens, you know, this is kind of, you know, this is the adrenaline that, or, you know, the emotion or, or whatever that, that, that you're gonna, that you're gonna feel, and it, I mean, it's, so it kind of prepares your, to kind of expect that a similar response, you know, when that situation actually occurs. Well, that's right. kind of interesting along the lines of, um, you know, they have this, uh, and, and you see it in Halo, and you see it here now. Uh, you see the uh, little motion sensor, and you're like, what the hell is this motion sensor? Well, you can't really hear. You don't have a stereo, so you can't hear where people are coming from or what they sound like. So uh, in its place, a lot of these video games put these motion detectors to kind of try to simulate what you would hear if you, you know, if someone was coming down the hallway uh, since you can't hear that, and you can't hear the direction that's coming from. Then, hey, why don't we just uh, why don't we just put give this guy a motion tracker to simulate that kind of ability? 
it's interesting. Battlefield has this like night mode in Battlefield Four where they really crank the audio on it, and if you play with a good set of headphones, it's really eerie, especially if you play in the dark. Uh, you know, it's. A, I mean, I'm kind of coming back to video games after not having played for like a long, long time, and so uh, experiencing something like that, you realize how important when you're like telling a story, like sound design, for example, is critical because you know that is very much how we relate to these sorts of you know your experiences, your sen- your sensing and such. Uh, so some of these game guys have really figured out Dice, I think, is, is one of them. The, and, uh, and, you know, in Rainbow um, Six, it's similar because uh, so your assault, you know, it's hostage. You're doing SWAT assaults, and so there's absolutely no soundtrack, and footsteps are amplified, and so you know you're 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 sitting and watching a hostage, or you're trying to figure out okay which room we breach before things go haywire, and it's it's you know you hear like a footstep or creaks on the wall, and it's uh, it kind of gives you a sense of you know how you use you know, audio of, of, in your life. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, very cool. The, the the one thing that always bothers me though that uh, about these games and um, some that I I bet would kind of give an interesting dynamic to uh, Battlefront here is yes, your character dies realistically, and we can go into the uh, we can go into the hero stuff um, in a little bit because there is the really cool kind of. Hero, uh, hero mode, and I love the heroes versus villains games. Those are so ridiculous. But uh, for all your your character is vulnerable, you respawn really fast. It's within. Uh, I, I don't even think you have a wait time. I've never been conscious of a wait time uh, in this game. So for whatever advantage you have by giving, trying to incentivize people to not be stupid. You know, kind of like Call of Duty style where they're bunny hopping across a map or just something dumb. Um, is that a lot of that is eliminated when you make the characters, uh, you give this the, these characters this unreal ability to just respawn and respawn and respawn over and over and over again. Well, we talked about this in the first step in our first episode and how with these fast, I mean, the respawn times, you know, they, they kind of dictate your strategy because if you're quickly responding and there's an objective and you guys you guys need to secure it within you know 45 seconds or whatever i mean you're just going to respond run you know shoot whatever you see and just move if you die no big deal you get up do it again and you just guys you just your team kind of swarms versus if you know there's a slower respawn time or no respawn time at all i mean that the pace of play slows down a lot mm-hmm. um, to the point where there's kind of a climatic you know there's there's like i mean this isn't I mean, these numbers aren't specific, but it's almost like there's five minutes of pre- preparation for a 30-second gunfight that determines, you know, the outcome. So it's it's interesting how the, you know, the, something as small as the respawn time determines the pace of play. You know, I go back to, like, starting to play video games, you know, at a quarter a pop. And, you know, the economics obviously are different when you spend 50 yeah, bucks on a game that can, you know, re- respawn every, every five minutes. But, you know, the economics, if you will, of, like, that drive your strategy are totally different because you can, you know, do the opportunity cost of, I guess, your hours, you know, that you commit to a game. But point being, it's not in that real transactional sense. Like if I die, I have to put another dollar in the game that is a, you know, I may not have. And, you know, that I think with the, as you like Halo and, and some of the other Call of Duty, I think has really slid down that slope. Uh, even their most recent game, you know, you really you know have to play in that kind of expendable way. Which is when you think about the next kind of iterations of whether it's swarm technologies or disposability, you know, being a paradigm that we, we can, might be exploring in the next decade or so. 
uh, you know, if that translates over, it's some of the experience people are having on screen like this, you know, have a real world kind of implication. Well, and even uh, <clears throat> the uh, remember, you don't hear about it so much anymore, but in the early Halo years, Halo 1, Halo 2, there was actually a symbol you could have for your uh, for your character that had a picture of a TP and then a line through it. And that meant no campers because, <clears throat> you know, camping was considered a BS strategy uh, for FPS players. And it, it still is. It still is. It still yeah. is. That's one of the most viable real-world strategies right. or, or tactics, really, uh, to to employ to stay alive. Um, so the entire, I don't know, uh, gaming culture kind of pushed the industry to get away from viable tactics to survive and no, pushed it towards, you know. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I don't know, because I, I know in the Battlefield games, um, maybe I just wasn't into the yelling six-year-olds uh, on, on the servers as much. But it seemed like, at least in the Battlefield games, where people were very expendable and respawn times were a little longer, that camping was still an understandably viable way of, of operating. Is that, you know, people weren't saying, no, camping, because they're like, well, what am I supposed to do with the sniper rifle then? You know? Right. Well, I find I find that like my reflexes just aren't fast, or whatever my you know experience uh, you know puts me at a disadvantage. So that it, the farther distance you have from your adversary, the longer you're going to stay you know alive. <laughs> the longer your kind of time between respawns, if you want to call it that. So, what's everybody's favorite part of this game uh, so far? Because I mean, we're doing a good job uh, laying down uh, laying down the uh, reality of some of the uh, factors that go into looking at it. But uh, again, you know, we're gonna put Star Wars Battlefront at the front of this, and people will say, "What the hell are they talking about for 30 minutes?" <laughs> this is August. The audio is, is great. I mean, this oh, is yeah. you know the kind of the joke yeah. that when I my brother and I again when we play, it's like that pew pew kind of laser sound that you kind of defined how you thought about these sorts of things when you were again I was you know younger when when those movies came out uh, for the originals, but the audio and the kind of fidelity to that original like first generation star wars experience is to me one of my favorite parts of the game yeah for me the audio is also i think the the coolest part i mean it's just it's dynamic it's robust i mean that and the visuals i mean dice they always you know with the frostbite engine they always create you know great looking games so it it's it's interesting because it kind of brings that star wars uh you know that star wars world to to uh to life in a way that you can interact with it a little bit I think the visuals are very good, uh, especially the atmospheric battles, which uh, looks like uh, from the trailers are going to be a large part of uh, The Force Awakens, um, just because there's a lot more to look at and do. Um, it just makes the uh, the fighter combat a lot more interesting than just uh, you know standing off in space. Yeah, I've got to echo Crispin on that. It's the, the, the I'm not a big graphics guy. I actually don't care much about graphics, but the graphics in Battlefront are just absolutely blowing me away, and as well the size of the maps. <clears throat> the indoor map, um, you can. You, it's like you can just. It goes on and on and on. It's actually hard to find the edge of the map um, in, in playing the large forty-player battles. So, yeah, there's always- a great article with uh, with JJ Abrams and Esquire uh, recently that talked about how he made the movie and kind of linking it back to his experience as a young kid in making movies in high school uh, that. You know, a lot of the special effects when we see the film finally are going to be really interesting because he actually made them 
uh, not with CGI, but with, right. you know, the kinds of props and makeup that we, you know, we associate, you know, a different generation of filmmaking in part, because I think that harkened back to how he got his start, but he wanted the film to feel visually different than contemporary, uh, let's say sci-fi. And, and I, that could be really meaningful. I mean, for how people relate to it, if it really stands out in that way. Well, one thing you notice about a CGI is that it doesn't date very well. I mean, you go back to the Phantom Menace, yeah. that's, wow, 15 years ago. <laughs> and the CGI looks very, very dated. You're also um, where, less willing the to models, it. Yeah, well, I mean, the models are still hold a story today. In fact, I think that some of the uh, model-based uh, effects from the original Star Wars movies look a lot better than the CGI stuff they put in, in the uh, special editions. Well, it's, it's quality. It's it's quantity versus quality. CGI is a lot of quantity. Hey, look, I put a thousand Jar Jar Binks dancing all together here on this planet versus quality where you have like two or three aliens that look vaguely, you know, they look vaguely realistic because they are actually there in the room. I mean, it's, I mean, it's probably not easy to make something that looks like rubbery skin, but once you've made that thing... Yeah, make whatever shape you want, and it's something plausible. Whereas the CGI just doesn't doesn't give you that. I mean, that well, that argument works up to a certain extent. You saw the Nemoidians; it's like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're rubbery, but I have no idea what they are. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if he was purposely trying to intimidate or you know impersonate those uh, those Japanese films where you know nothing ever syncs up, uh, or if this was just a complete uh, screw up where nothing synced up with the uh, the dialogue. So, so here's a question. It's interesting how nobody mentioned uh, nobody mentioned the gameplay. Kind of. Well, I was about. Whoa, hey, hey. Well, I, I, I didn't mean, get my I, I answer jump, yet. Are you, you going to say the gameplay? Because then that I, I was going to say the ability. Now it's it's not precise gameplay, um, but I was going to say the ability to play these heroes. I love I love the ability to, especially Boba Fett. I mean, I love Boba Fett, but that's just because of the jetpack and I'm a cheap bastard. Um, but but going into this sort of contemporary battlefield-style environment and going in there as the Emperor or as Han Solo or as Boba Fett with kind of with capabilities that make sense for them too, uh, this is a lot of fun. Like I I really do enjoy uh, the gameplay there, but it, Brett. I mean, it's so <laughs> <laughs> it's so simple. I mean, it, there, there's kind of an irony here. You're going in with I mean, what year Star Wars like 2000 and, and whatever? But you know, it's it's very 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 advanced technology. But the gameplay and the gunplay, it's so simplified. It I mean, is. it's uh, you know, it's it's like I think there's an irony there, and it, it kind of drives me crazy because you know I'm join, you know I'm storming right now with my you know stormtrooper comrades, and but we're just you know everyone shoots from the hip and stuff. I mean, it's yep. it seems almost cartoonish yeah, no that's, I guess that's you know, always that's been how Star Wars is you're absolutely right uh, I mean I'm, I'm also playing Halo 5 as we talked about in the last podcast um, and the, the actual game mechanics the way you can control your player um, is it's it's completely outmoded and completely outclassed by more contempt other it's, con, it's 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 competitors right now that are on the market um, it's you can't really run you all well, you can run in the game but you can't really juke if a grenade lands at your feet, you're pretty much not getting out of the uh, blast radius unless you have that jetpack. Um, so in that regard, it, it feels clunky. It feels it, like a five-year-old game in terms of the mechanics of it. I think I think that's forgivable, though. The simplicity gives. I mean, there, there's fun in simplicity. You know, it's it's not 
It's not some multiplayer version of what was it, Crisis, where I have like 18 different uh, like things on my HUD, and I've got 14 different programs I got to manage, and oh, I've got to be this and I've got to be that, and all this other stuff is going on. You know, maybe sometimes you just want to jump into a completely ridiculous laser battle, and this uh, this kind of gives you it gives you a little bit more. I think uh, it does not give you more on the tactical side because it is cartoonish. But in a certain spirit, it does. Because instead of concentrating on, you know, what weird crap I'm bringing up or switching between my weapons or, or some of these other things, I'm just trying to maneuver around the map. So it's, it's fire as a maneuver. It's very simple. Um, but it's something is, uh, is, is realism important? I mean, that's an interesting question. Like, if you have a game that's realistic, is it no longer enjoyable because realism it's no longer what, a game? And, I mean, in terms of, a, it, there's different layers to that, right? I mean, right, exactly. Uh, but I, yeah. Um, it, I mean, there, there's a ahead. balance because, like, in Arma, for example, when I play, you know, I get on with my friends. The first thing we do is we try to figure out which frequency and channel we input into our radio so we can talk to each other. And so it's, yeah, no you know, the, 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 there, there's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I've never played that. Is that right? Is that how it works? Yeah. yeah. So I, I pull up. I pull up. So the, they call it. Um, the, it's the Harris Falcon Three radio, but of course, because of you know IP, they tweak the Harris logo just a little bit, but it still <laughs> looks like Harris. And it, you know, you're, you're tweaking your leg, your radio. It only works for you know, I think five kilometers, and then you need, uh, and then you need to, a long range radio. But I mean, there, there, there's certainly you know a balance because obviously not everyone when they get home at you know 11:30 and want to play xbox or whatever and they don't want to be playing around with the falcon 3 radio <laughs> um, but uh i mean i don't know it's it, i find it just too simple i mean i i, I understand what what matt's saying in terms of you know kind of the simple fires and maneuver but matt when i look around right now there is absolutely no there's a lot of firing but there's no maneuvering i mean everyone's just that's right, right. around and I don't it's know. Like a, it's the kind of that scrum model. I mean, I, I had an interesting conversation uh, when we did this after the war event at the Atlantic Council. We had the writer and Marine Elliot Ackerman come, and we're talking about video games a bit. And he was saying, you know, it's funny because you don't have that part of your character's experience where you're just sitting around throwing a ball against the wall for like two days straight, waiting for waiting to go on your next, you know, mission. And uh, you know, it's an interesting question. Like, what is you know the value of that kind of realism where? you're essentially asking people to kind of participate in a more meaningful but realistic way that really has no value when you come home, as you said, from late at work at night or after a bar, which is probably how most people play games. And I don't know what that data is like, if we actually know kind of when and how people play, but they probably wouldn't be really seeking that same kind of veracity. And, yeah. and the realism, you know, it depends realism in what area. You know, you can have a video game that has very realistic control surfaces, like let's say a, a flight simulator. You can have an incredibly realistic, to a certain point, cockpit experience that involves the amount of effort that's required in controlling uh, and managing the systems on an aircraft, but the combat could be absolute crap, or the design of the objectives could also be uh, garbage. I mean, what I, what I kind of like, um, and, and maybe this is what kind of made me appreciate some of the simplicity, is the supremacy maps. Um, so I'm used to Battlefield, where everybody just runs all around, and people are just taking whatever strategic points they happen to show up at, no particular order, and never, there's no particular advantage to having those points. You're just running around like a crazy person. Um, for all the crazy running around people in Battlefront, uh, if you don't take uh, objectives in, in sequence, 
Um, you know, you can have a thousand guys at the enemy objective, but if they've already captured what's behind you, then you're screwed. Like, you need to figure out how to get back there and and defend your point. So it sort of simulates there being some actual tactical advantage to having these damn things in the first place. So I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, it's limiting. I like. Go ahead. I I disagree because I think in in Battlefield there's a little more coordination. I mean, maybe it's just because more coordination. I'm not saying in the coordination realm. I'm just saying in the incentivization realm. But like in Battlefield, I mean, so like you know, vehicles in Battlefield. You know, whenever whenever you start a match, you know, everyone gets in the helicopter. Everyone gets in the tank, and even the people who can't fly the helicopter. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the best part. But I mean, still, I mean, there's, I don't know, I just. I mean, I'm finding it just, this is very, you know, just very, very simple. And I don't want to keep using cartoonish because I love Star Wars. No, but cartoonish is, cartoonish is correct. Mean, I mean, this I is mean, a cartoonish. But, I mean, when you think of, like, you know, what the stormtroopers or what they're trying to do, I mean, they had a you know, really complicated mission because, you know, they're, I mean, on one end they're doing counterinsurgency. On the other end they're doing, you know, conventional, you know, uh, space warfare against uh, you know a, a relatively capable fleet, and so it's I don't know. I mean, that's just kind of my first thoughts after. I mean, I'm with you. I would rather play, you know, Battlefield Five Star Wars. I would. I'm not saying that Battlefront is the best game on the planet, but I'm willing. I'm willing to give it its its druthers. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm playing it. And we're talking about it for a reason, and that's because it doesn't suck. So, uh, you know, there are there are things in this game that do make it worth playing. I mean, uh, unless you know, unless maybe uh, so say the group that it's not that great a game. I mean, I'm I'm having fun, but maybe you guys are you know have purchased this thing and you're like, oh, maybe this was a, an accident. Um, I think I think it's I think it's good. I mean, it doesn't. It's a different experience than than that Battlefield 4 because you, I think, are kind of supposed to be swept up a bit in the nostalgia or the kind of storyline and, and that, that suspension of disbelief, like, that's okay. You know, and, and the details they have included, back to our point about the audio or the way the stormtroopers fall down when they've been hit, you know, that's very faithful to the original, like, 1977, you know, first movie. And, and that that has, like, value in terms of, like, what, what, the, what this kind of game means. The question is how long will people play it, you know, versus like Destiny where you're creating a world that you expect people to inhabit mm-hmm. for years, uh, mm-hmm. which has its own really interesting kind of social dynamics uh, around that, even playing as someone who has only kind of dabbled in that. You know, I don't know, maybe put, people play this until January and then they're like on to the next thing. Um, that, it, that, I don't know if that matters from a, like a business perspective either with game design. But, you know, economics. That may be why you know, they're not having to purchase this. some of this stuff. Maybe It's they, interesting because the I think the initial – there's a site that tracks, uh, you know, online like multiplayer matches, or the amount of players, the amount of people playing on each console in terms of multiplayer, and so it tracks, you know, all the big titles, Battle, Battlefield, Battlefront, etc. And it's interesting because the Battlefront, I mean, it started up really, really high, and then it kind of dropped. Um, yeah. And I can see that. But um, I mean, it, it's weird because I mean it. I mean, you look at, I mean, you're playing a game like this, and then it's like, okay, why don't I go over to Battlefield or something else? And so it's, um, you know, it's, I mean, it just kind of, I mean, it kind of, you know, alludes to just the shape, the nature of the market or the nature. I mean, there's just a ton of different first-person shooters that all look good, and so it's hard to differentiate. Right, and well, the, the, this thing will get destroyed when, when like, Siege comes out 
or Ghost Recon, the one that's going to have sort of the open world. Um, so I think I think uh, I think that's fair. But I'll say this, and I'm sure at some point we'll have a Destiny thing. I'm kind of done with Destiny. Maybe it's just that they kind of flubbed it up on on the deployment. But it's there's like, hey, we're gonna have like there's a racing circuit now. Half the weapons that I had that spent all that time trying to get in the first part are now gone, as well as my armor. Uh, it's just there's there's so much involved. Where there's there's too many mechanisms that are like World of Warcraft in there for me. But, it's like, hey, if you don't so, get a group and and jump in and do these things, you're not gonna get. Uh, I mean, there's more than that, but um, I I don't know. I I've got it sitting here and I haven't played it. Uh, I haven't played it for weeks, and not well, because I mean, this game is amazing or anything. I mean, Destiny. I mean, it's it's by yeah. Bungie, so the original creators of Halo. And it's like the right. one thing they did right was gunplay. And so Destiny for for me, it's my go-to game for when I get home from you know 1:30 in the morning or whatever. And you know, I mean it's I mean if I just want to play a game where I just shoot stuff, I mean it's Destiny just because it feels good. I mean yeah, the armor and stuff is it's I mean the whole leveling it's crap. And I get one thing and I get another thing within you know two missions. So it's I don't even know what the the, the story is. I'm still trying to figure <laughs> out what that what that big ball is on Earth or so. I'd be interested to see what you know. August thinks of it from uh, you know from his perspective because I just see Destiny just as you know a pure video game with very little you know additional value outside of the or, or lessons that can be learned. But, I mean, I, guys, I feel like there's a lot of commitment you have to have to that game. I mean, mm-hmm. I <clears throat> it was one of the first games I got when I bought a PS4, or technically was given a PS4 uh, by my brother, and the you know the the expanse of it and the kind of ambition really really I found appealing. You know, there was a sort of vacuousness to the storyline and i have to say like a lot of the games i've really enjoyed you know playing even uh you know the the previous call of duty it's for that storyline play i kind of play them like movies more than to Mm -hmm. you know spend time trying to level up um and obviously you don't have that with destiny so you have to kind of buy in the monsters thing is difficult for me to be honest and and i felt like there was such a kind of steep curve to learning it and the amount of hours you had to put in what monsters is is well, I mean the aliens, whatever you want to call them, but I mean, you know, that, that uh, there was sort of this, you know, dynamic to it that just didn't kind of capture me like I wanted it to. And uh, and I haven't played it in probably, I don't know, eight, eight or nine months. Uh, and I probably won't go back to it because, again, I just felt like unless you're really willing to commit a lot of hours to it that – And money uh, it, too because they're definitely not, not against squeezing the crap out of us. And so when you read some of the game press, I mean, this is one of the challenges in the games these days, that they are so layered and so intricate, some of them, not all. Like Fallout is a good one that I haven't tried yet, but I yeah. want to. Uh, you know, uh, again, Metal Gear like 5 that just came out. I mean, it's amazing, but you literally can play for four to five hours a day. And, you know, again, manage your private military company like a real CEO and, and sneak around Afghanistan in the 80s, uh, you know, battling <laughs> semi, semi-supernatural, yeah. you know, adversaries and and. You know, really kind of have Maybe a nice I do need hot. to play this game. Oh, it, Metal it's, Gear. It's, it's amazing. We got to do an episode yeah. on Metal Gear. We, you really we should. We can't really spoil should. all the experience. I did, now, I did but, three. Uh, I did three, and I did um, the one where we go back to Russia and kill a whole bunch of people. But uh, it's been it's been a while, and I haven't played this. Uh, I haven't played this new one. So, so five is it's kind of a sandbox game. I mean, you you run around. I mean, you manage your own company. You have a story, but I mean, you're. I mean, you can conduct operations separate from the story just for the purpose of manage your co- managing your company. So, like, you know, rescuing prisoners or, you know, 
going you, after, send, you send guys on deployments to essentially yeah, exactly. get revenue. I mean, it's until so you can like expand your offshore oil mm-hmm. platform in the Seychelles or whatever it is. So it's got a real like you have to kind of be thinking about that. You fire people who have like bad hygiene. I mean, literally that's the criteria of the game. Oh, wow, really? <laughs> so, so there's uh, you know there's some some realism. Wow, hmm, interesting. But now, I'm pro- I mean, I'm not going to be able to do that because if I if I get something, I'm going to have to get Fallout 4, and then I'll disappear. Well, I can't disappear because I will have my son, but he'll probably sit next to me and watch me play Fallout 4. Maybe he can help comment on or commentate on. Our he doesn't know how to make comments yet. He's not even like out yet, you know. So come come <laughs> Christmas Eve, uh, come Christmas Eve, you know, he'll he'll be here and then. Uh, you know, maybe he can watch, but his commentary will mostly be like gurgles, maybe boop, uh, burps, and a few farts. I mean, there's a good, you know, kind of like aspect to that, right? When you have all these competing demands, how do you make time to play? Uh, you wait until the wife's not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how feasible that'll be, though. We'll see. I, I don't really have have an answer for that either. I mean, it's you know, it's a kind of a zero sum game. You know, you got 24 hours, and you know, if you want to get some exercise, yeah. get some work done. That you know, right. I, I try to kind yeah. of cut cut this aspect of it. Yes, here I am on a Saturday night talking about video games. And in unrelated news, I'm not married. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, you know, so Crispin, what is back to the sort of the spirit of the Star Wars stuff here? I've noticed, and I'm I'm here with you, that it seems like army people just have so much more of an empathy for the Empire. Is is that true, or is that just based on the people I that I personally never did. I, I never empathized with the Empire. I don't know why. Maybe they're empathizing with the clones, because that's a much more... You know, when you get to the Clone Wars, it's a much more realistic universe, but uh, I never empathized with the Empire. I don't know why. Why are you saying things like that? More realistic universe, battle the clones, What? Yeah, it's, I mean, no. I'm not talking, I mean, not, not, a, not necessarily talking uh, prequels, but I am talking the Clone Wars cartoons. There are, there is a subtle oh, wow. nuance in the Clone Wars cartoons. They talk about you, you, know, you created you're this not class. Married, right? You have no kids. I mean, <laughs> no kids. To I mean, here's the thing: is that with the clones, you created this 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 separate warrior class artificially. You know, we talk about the civil military divide, where, whereas with the clones. It it really does exist. They they grew them on uh, gen- or on Camino, uh, and they're a separate class. I mean, they are genetically different from the rest of the Republic. Um, you can't not know who is a clone or not. Uh, so you basically have a, a very artificial civil military divide. How do you bridge that yes. in the the old Republic? So it's you, you've created you've created essentially slaves to do your bidding. I mean, that are humans, and, yeah, and how do you how rectify the that in are democracy? Paid. Like, are they paid? Like, we talked about this last time with Master Chief. I mean, like, I mean, I mean if, if a clone's like, I want a fucking ETS, can he fucking ETS? No, they're stop lost to the duration of the of the war. What? I've I mean, got a, I've got a more like, you, know, you know, a clone a sitting around, it's like, man, I, I, why did I sign up for this shit? No. Why well, to be? I mean, but these people still have to eat, and you know, it's it's made pretty clear that they're you know they're pretty disciplined, but they're not mindless. You know, like these are yes, just yes. really super disciplined war human beings. But 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 you know, you, you're also growing up, you know, the kind of the you know the dependency of the military. So it's like you know, the, all their health care is taken taken care of by Galactic Tricare or something like that. You know, they have direct deposit that that, that just oh, well, goes into their account. Who does that paperwork? You know, like you know, they're looking into- they're looking to marry a, a clone dependa or something like that. I don't know. 
You know, I'm just going to say Tricare is making too much of an appearance in our podcast. This episodes. is too – well, it's because we ultimately always come down to who does all the paperwork for all these billions and trillions of guys. Like, mm-hmm. Even if they have Tricare, like, do they go I mean, that's in, really, like, the future of war and AI. It, yeah, I mean, I mean – It's like to handle the paperwork, not not to, like, fight the war, but to, like, handle the back office. So, oh, my yeah, God, that would be amazing. When, when, you look at, when you look at Star Wars and AI, the first thing that jumps out is uh, the battle droids. From the prequels. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it, it's funny because, you know, you got these drawers, they're walking, you know, they can, you know, withstand uh, even harsh environments. But when it comes to, like, intelligence, I mean, they seem like bumbling idiots. I mean, the, oh. the battle droids. I mean, it's like the only audio that you hear is, like, either destroy them or at all. Uh, or at uh, all. I mean, it, it's one or the other. I don't know. <laughs> well, again. You do, you do have the, the droids that are, like, strategists, like the tactical droids, but, um, Here's the thing is that is that you haven't made a machine that can outperform a human on the battlefield yet. Yet. August, this is your next book. I yeah. have. It's but it well, is interesting. Right. Star Wars so what you want the human beings to it, do. My atom bomb definitely outperforms human beings, but I mean, it's pretty kind of one shot. I have to tell you though, if you're a stormtrooper on Endor, like why don't you have a green set of like, you know, Yeah, armor? that's I, I well, why do you wear a reflector belt in the combat zone? I mean, come on. So maybe there's some kind of high-level stuff going on in, in the system. I, I, that I'm you thinking run so. I'm thinking yeah. so. I mean, there there is some sergeant major stormtrooper that's like, no, you're gonna wear your gleaming white stormtrooper armor. Oh my god, that'd be belts. awful. Well, what? So there's there's this, and tell me if this is apocryphal or not. That that, that is synonymous of the dark side. But the, from what I understand <laughs> yes, yes. is that the Tie Fighters, you know, the X Wings have shields, and the whole reason the Tie Fighters don't is because. It's to incentivize the pilots. They're like, listen, you don't have a shield, so you better be good at this. No, like, it, oh, crap. no, no, no. It's because it wasn't written into the contract. It's like, you know, you know why is the tail wheel on a Blackhawk only rated up to 60 uh, knots ground speed? That's just what they wrote the, co- wrote the contract for. Yeah, there's there. it is documented in the Star Wars universe that uh, you also notice that the, the pilots for the Empire wear full face mask and what looks like a respirator. Whereas in the Alliance, you see just a basic helmet on the pilots. Um, it's because the Empire was buying so many of these fighters that they went with the cheapest, most basic fighter model that they could, so they could they could buy numbers. They they purposely made the strategic choice to go for quantity, not quality, and then it, it turned out to bite them in the ass as the uh, war progressed with the with the rebellion. I mean, did it really? Because yeah. they seem to pound the crap. It's they seem to win up until the point where some lunatic with like gypsy powers shows up. So, I mean, we say it bites them in the ass, but they win every battle until you know no. Skywalker show someone shows up. Well, I mean, they had they had numbers at the at the Battle of Yavin. Yeah. Yeah, but um, it's it. Well, I mean, the reason why it seems that way Ice is fighters. because there's 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 lots of time in between um. Episode three and episode four, and what what it's it's almost like a South China Sea scenario to where when when the empire really started losing is when they couldn't just negotiate uh, bilaterally, and by negotiate I mean pretty much invade uh, bilaterally with these different planets. It's when the the alliance really formed up, and the empire was now faced with uh, a competitor uh, that that spanned planets. Uh, also, when Luke Skywalker just so happened to come of age, 
is when the the empire really couldn't do it, and so that's well, that's because they I got rid it. of the Senate, right? They got rid of the fake Senate. It's like the beginning of the movie. I, I know this only because it was part of the process of making the intro to this podcast. Is I was looking at different quotes from Vader and and uh, Palpatine, but Vader's in there, and they're like, "Well, what will the Imperial Senate say? They think this fighting the rebellion's really starting to suck." And then Vader's like, "Oh, don't worry about that. We just got rid of those guys." And you're like, "Wait, what?" Like I don't remember. Yeah. Like I don't remember that specifically. But it's kind of interesting. You you watch these movies as a kid, and you don't look for that nuance, and you just assume, "Yeah, whatever. It's the Emperor and and Vader. Got it." But in that first scene, Vader seems to be somewhat outranked by the uh, by what is it? Uh, who's uh, Moff Tarkin? By Grand Moff Tarkin. Yeah, yes. Moff Tarkin's like, "Yo, stop choking my dudes." And well, you, like, I mean, okay. you had to have civil control of the military or the Sith, however you want to put it. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, in a way, though, you know, if you think about the the original George Lucas film, its origins are in the Cold War. You know, before even the Soviets invaded Afghanistan. Uh, you're bridging, you know, this game is kind of like that intermediary between what J.J. Abrams is about to do as a product of, you know, kind of post-2001. And, uh, you know, there is going to be, I think, some some difference and some similarities that kind of go back to these kind of meta themes that are, you know, consuming not only society, but also the way, you know, the military thinks about war and the issues and choices they've faced. I just watched the Hunger Games uh, final film this weekend, and it clearly, like... Oh, uh, yeah, that was great. I mean, uh, you know, again, I, this is what I, I kind of said to my wife was... The way the, uh, the way, the way you look at it is like if you are lucky enough to have a movie made as a writer, you know, uh, about your book, like you'd be all right with that film being made. Like it's very entertaining, very well done, great actors. Uh, it plays up kind of some of the moral, you know, quandaries and choices, like very faithfully to the book. And, uh, it's, it's decent. I mean, I'm not going to like sit here on live tape and say, go see the Hunger Games, but, uh, it's cool. <laughs> it was good. You can ponder going to see the Hunger Games. We'll, we'll put it that far. Exactly. But but I do think, you know, back to that kind of point about this video game bridging, you know, these two experiences that are that are, you know, literally 40 years apart, you know, from 77 to 2015. Um, if I even have the right kind of year for Star Wars when it came out, I think that's correct. But that's that's a massive gulf. I mean, think of from 1945 yeah. to 1985, how different our kind of conceptions were of conflict and what what are you know, what the good guys could and couldn't do dramatically. Well, I mean. Wasn't you, the big you look problem. at the first Star Wars film, um, you know, all, everything fights as if they're in the Second World War. He, he, and he based a lot of that on, you know, World War One, World War Two era dogfights. Uh, you know, obviously everything, you know, fires when they, when they're in, within visual range. And then when you get to episodes one, two, and three, which are ostensibly set before four, five, and six, you know, you have missiles going through the sky and everything like that. You know, he based it on kind of the John Boyd era. Oh, we're going to have an F-16 that fights only within visual range, blah, 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 blah. Whereas, you know, when the 2000s hit, of course, we're firing beyond visual range with our missiles, et cetera, et cetera. I think, I think to a certain point, uh, I mean, there's always, there's always a way to, uh, there's always a way to sci-fi that away. You could say, oh, well, there's, there's better anti-missile technology now, you know, some kind of jammer or whatever, so now we use this kind of stuff. But I think to a certain point that that attempt, not just on the tactical side, but on the political side in in the prequels to match the age, really just ruined it. Because it seemed like George Lucas was like, I don't like George Bush, and I'm going to show him in my movie. Look, he's evil emperor. And you're like, oh, can we, like, you could have... Well, that, that was most of Hollywood at the time. You, you yeah, but it, it, it ruined an opportunity. Like, sure, you can have this discussion, and, and we can bring these themes into it. You'll see that in, 
and much crappier films like you know Triple Triple X State of the Union, Triple uh, X Two or whatever the heck that is with like Ice T or something. Vendetta. They're like, we want to talk about what's about how it was in you know in military dictatorship. Except we can actually talk about these things that we're in a military dictatorship that's going to crush us. Like, come on, guys. Yeah, it's it's. I've it's, noticed that which, whichever party is not in power tends to be obnoxious, and that's what that's yeah. what the the left was in 2005. But it, it's really a shame because so much of that was kind of you. It it wasn't buried enough, so it's it's like watching someone come up to you at a haunted house in a costume, and you can see like their neck and their gloves aren't really covering their wrists, and you're like, I know you're a dude. Like we're done here. Like I know what you're trying to say. I know what you're you're taking me out of the fictional environment and you're putting <laughs> me into your personal politics and and you've kind of ruined. I mean, it I now. mean, George Lucas did have some uh, some personal politics that went into the original Star Wars films. Oh, of course, was, I'm sure. He, he came of age during the 70s. You know, a lot of Star Wars um, is based on his uh, the Vietnam War. I mean, George Lucas is actually tapped to direct Apocalypse Now, a Vietnam War movie. Uh, so I mean, he has strong feelings about. Uh, this inferior nation beating a technologically superior nation. And, I mean, there are people that have said, you know, kind of that youth rage that you had in the 70s, you know, it's about not fighting the empire. It's about fighting this faceless, the man, basically. That's what James Earl Jones said, you know. <laughs> He's like, it's not about fighting the empire. It's about it's about fighting the man. That's what he said. <laughs> now everybody's bigger fans of the man, it seems. Cause it's, <laughs> and, and, and the I funny, mean, and the funny thing is, is that you know, as George Lucas progressed, you know, Star Wars was a story about um, uh, this man who was very human. And the movies were very human, um, and and basically the narrative was this person that was very human uh, was consumed by machine, became soulless, and became evil, and that's basically what happened to his movies. They were very human films ah! in, in the beginning, <laughs> and then they were taken over by just you know machines. Are we you sure? know, George well, Lucas, it, a no, man, he, who, man was, who rails against corporations. He railed against corporations in the 70s. In episode two, there were all these ham-fisted allusions to the corporate alliance and the intergalactic oh, yeah, banking like plan are evil. And it's like, weird... dude, you made billions of dollars on C-3PO the serial. Fuck off. Yeah, exactly. Now, it's, that was the strangest thing. You're like, who even are these people? But, I mean, we can have a podcast on all the things that we hate. I mean, I mean, the, what, the, the techno union? That sounds like a thing you'd hear in the club. <laughs> yeah. Well, or, or a bunch of, yeah, a bunch of space traders have decided that it is within their vested interest to completely destroy trade all over the galaxy. Like, what is, like, what do you... It's like the war for oil argument. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to war for oil. You know how expensive it is to go to war when we have oil, like, in Here? North Dakota? Or, hey, why would, really we, why would we plunder other countries when we could plunder our why own natural plunder countryside? It's, it, it, I kept trying to explain to people that it's like, hey, you know, if you really wanted this thing, you would just lift. You know, lift the embargo and get it way cheaper. But no, it's like I'm going to do this contrived, weird info wars kind of conspiracy thing where I'm going to go in, spend more money than I would ever gain and then not get it and then give it back to them. And then you're like, well, like, guys, like this isn't I, I don't even know what to compare that. Right. This isn't the Star Wars prequels. It doesn't work. that way. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is that is that you had that Michael Moore film that compared that, that actually said this was the case in Afghanistan because Afghanistan has natural gas. Like so does America. Well, wait, he made that argument. Yeah, we have That's plenty of natural gas. Argument. 
That's such an insane. Yes, that, argument. that was the whole reason we got involved in Afghanistan was natural gas. No war for the, heroin. The, 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 no the, the, the World Trade Center. Heroin. That's kind of a distraction. But the natural gas is why we're in Afghanistan. That's unreal. I didn't. I didn't even know. I know he makes plenty of dumb arguments. I just didn't know that that. That's so weird. Why? What? I mean, there's there's kind of that, that you, meta question though about like do countries go against their own interests? Uh, I think about this with China. You know, and their dependence obviously on trade with Europe and the U.S. You know, would they? You know, and Ghostly, you played with this obviously. Like, you know, you have that that tension between needing to show the world the system needs to be different to acknowledge your rise. Uh, at the same time, are you willing to forego the very you know forces and benefits that have brought you to where you are? I think in some cases, countries, you know, leaders do make that that, that trade off for kind of a more longer term strategic point of view. Um, I mean, and, and sometimes countries just do incredibly stupid things. But in Ghostly, right, right. I mean, you had a, I mean, there was. Was it a coup, or, or what was it? Because you had a different Chinese government. Yeah, that was really important. I mean, to really think through, like, what's going to happen after the party really loses its ability to keep the country stable, uh, functional, and the PLA funded? Uh, you know, I started to think about, like, what is a professional military in China going to expect from its civilian and economic, uh, you know, masters? And, you know, they are going to be looking at a defense budget that in the 2020s could be on par with the U.S. defense budget if, you know, if it paces to GDP like it does. So so you really need a different political system to kind of do that, one more closely integrated with business that would emerge after the party, you know, does in a very public way prove to fall short of, of what people expected it to. It's going to be really interesting. It is going to be really interesting to see what happens in Force Awakens because uh, I, I really liked in Ghost Fleet kind of how you dealt with the collapse of the Chinese Communist Party and out of it rises this consortium that consists of a lot of members of the Chinese Communist Party, but they just you know they execute who is ever, ever there just for the party. So you know business leaders, military, just going around and saying, you know who are the apparatchiks. Just get clear them out and let's stop pretending we're in charge now. You know, like we are actually the ones right. who run this place. Right. And so well, I was always happens, under the opinion when you. Oh, ahead. I was gonna say, yeah. What happens in Force Awakens? So, you know, all your major leadership is dead. You've got two blown up Death Stars. Like, okay, where do you go from here? Like, who, who's in charge? Who are who are the leaders? What are they like? Oh, I was under the impression that usually when you remove that tyrannical dictator, it's nothing but Ewoks dancing. Who knew the world worked in a very <laughs> – the opposite way? It's just nothing but dancing Ewoks. The uh, stormtroopers take off the helmets. That, that's, They're that, Ewoks, that, 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 too. That was all the dancing. dancing in the streets when we went to Baghdad. Come on now. We all win. The, the Ewoks were all yub-yubbing when we tore down the statue. Oh, man. Well, I mean the Ewoks don't need as much infrastructure – you know, it's not like blowing up the Death Star suddenly eliminated most of the water infrastructure. I mean, what if what if there were multiple what if there were multiple Ewok factions and they turned savage? I mean, they were ready to cannibalize, you know, Han, oh. Luke, and everybody oh, that's, else. That's I mean, true. do they cannibalize each other? You know, that's dark. You know, nobody. Yeah, no. Everybody forgets Man, that, 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 that film is too light. Those Ewoks had better start like shooting Eating each other Ewok? and eat each other's faces or something. <laughs> Oh man, I you know there's zombie mo there's zombie books about uh, Star Wars now, right? Like I I, really? I read some book where somebody Wait, are gets there really? To, I haven't heard of these. Yeah, go look. It's it's some kind of uh, it's some kind of force plague where some Sith at some point tries to develop a uh, a, a an immortality serum of some kind, uh, sort of like I don't know some Umbrella Corporation maybe. 
and then they accidentally create a zombie serum and uh i don't know this these salvagers or something uh fall upon this star destroyer that's in the middle of nowhere and it's it's all turned off and and uh they find all these corpses inside and they accidentally re- release something kind of evil dead style that gets these people to start getting up it's pretty fun you know it's just a quick read i don't remember what it was called though but you know everybody's getting up on the uh, on the zombie bandwagon. It's interesting. You, know, t- you talked to Max Brooks about like why he did those films, or sorry, the book. I mean, yeah, I was the, say the that story, the graphic awful. novels. But the the you know he was very interested in this kind of fragility that like our society you know has built into it and how we don't appreciate it. And what's what's great is that that whole narrative really exposes that. And not only that, but it also kind of makes us think: what is the role of the military if you kind know, of the conventional society collapses? What's interesting about the military from in kind of Max Brooks's universe is I don't know if you guys have read World War Z, not seen the movie, but actually read the book, which I think is 20 times better. But it's a thousand there's, times. Th- th- there's the Battle of Yonkers, which is kind yes. of this combined arms, like National Guard Reserve Force. I mean, you have Bradleys and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, from I mean uh, I mean Max is documented in interviews of how he kind of really studied you know army con ops to try to nail this you know to try to kind of uh, nail what would happen and it's it, it's you know it's it's really kind of just fun to read about how you know he, he nailed it but then you know as we see in his book the Battle of Yonkers you know it went completely south I mean it was it was awful. This is also a world where people have for some reason not ever found out what zombies are. You know, every zombie movie, except now, now today, societies seem kind of more conscious, conscious of what uh, zombies, you know, like what zombies are from the movies. They're like, whoa, am I in a zombie movie? So they slightly have a little bit more kind of knowledge about it. But it's always funny to say, well, all of these books are garbage now, because if we had a zombie apocalypse, everyone would realize what it is within a matter of minutes. And all of a sudden you'd have every guy who owns a gun and every woman who's stocked up machetes for this moment descend on whatever this place is, start killing zombies as quickly as possible, and be and it would be over in hours. People would be like, oh, I've played this game thing- and seen this movie before. <laughs> One of the fun things is that uh, Max Brooks actually came to, to speak to us at uh, Army North. Somebody was a good friend of his, and he's spoken to a lot of military. Mil- uh, we lost him. In in the in the world of sort of, so this has been fun two or three weeks having this game, but now having this discussion, I'm kind of tempted to just turn it in and go buy Rainbow Six Siege now. See, w- which yeah. is very fun, and we'll do another episode on that. But uh, oh yeah, but well, um, it's definitely. No, you know, I, I, I I agree with you. I mean, the the one thing I'm surprised we haven't talked about it is. I mean, so this is we're all using lasers. It's all direct energy or direct uh, energy. When you get up to like a really high level, you can access a gun that uses um, kinetic or kinetic. Yeah, it's it's some. Uh, you you got to look at the bonus thing, and and it's got a, It's apparently it sort of words it in a way that sort of is only hat tipping the fact like oh crazy this gun uses bullets. Because I, I was going to say, I mean, it's it's I mean. The grenades what, are all. What, what do you strange. think is going to mark the? I mean, because we're seeing, you know, the Navy's exploring direct energy on the Ponce. So what's going to be kind of? I mean, from a technology perspective, when you look at the stuff, I mean, when do you think 
I mean, why? What's the incentive to operating direct oh, energy magazine. Like, as the infantry? Is it magazine or sword what? Net. Because I mean, it's you still net. you still overheat though. Okay, well, yes, in the video game you overheat. It's simulated. I don't know how that'll work. Um, you know, in the real world, I'm sure there's there's ways to to cool things, but I mean, ordnance is heavy. You know, you carry ordnance around everywhere. Um, if you have the ability to build, I mean, because think about it, lasers are never going to defeat a bulletproof vest. I think, uh, well, maybe they will. Okay, I, I don't want to jump to that conclusion. That seems a little ridiculous to say. But uh, I was just thinking about it while you were saying it. I thought you were going to go down that path of sort of kinetics versus lasers. But I, unless I'm mistaken, uh, I, I don't, I don't see somebody punching through a modern day bulletproof vest with a laser. I think you'll get like a suite of capabilities that are electric driven, you know, rail guns, lasers, yeah, rail gun, other electromagnetic effects together. And that, yeah. and that that's, that's the kind of combination, but it goes back to the power generation. Like that is, you know, the foundation upon which it rests. And there may be different sort of things that extend off that very basic capability, like generate a lot of, you know, kilojoules or whatever the right, you know, measurement is. Um, because you can also have electronic warfare, cyber that goes with that, that, you know, ability to produce a lot of power, too. Well, it's um, interesting because when you get to the power trade-offs, I mean, that was one of the coolest parts of Ghost Fleet because the the DDG-1000, you know, there'd be a scene in Ghost Fleet where they'd be like, okay, we're going to turn off all of our systems except yeah. for everything that's necessary to power the railgun. I mean, there's no way with some of these systems that you can expect to have all the power. I mean, you're going to have to make trade-offs. I mean, that's, I mean, that's yeah. what that's it right. is. I mean, what is it's it, an, Mech Warrior? It's important... And MechWarrior uh, did that all the time. Sorry. Yeah, MechWarrior. Right, MechWarrior was like that. But also, if you go back to Battle, I'm sorry, Star Blazers, which was that Japanese series that was on in the 80s. That's where, the one with uh, like the Yamato. Yeah. Yeah. So Yamato had a had a. It wasn't a railgun. It was like a giant laser, or some kind of thing. But you know, they had this sort of choice they always had to make when they used it, which was you know to shut down the literally the entire ship because uh, it required so much power and it could devastate a planet or do something kind of you know enormous. But it was this real decision, and it added a lot of, you know, from a storytelling perspective, a lot of drama and kind of tension that was great uh, to have as part of the, the kind of experience of being, uh, you know, a kid watching the show. It was like, are they going to make it? Because, you know, they're about to use the wave motion gun. Um, and, and I think in Ghost Fleet, that was certainly thinking through the practical piece of, like, this technology will be really hard to kind of make reliable, and given the demands that, you know, a modern warship has in terms of power consumption generation. Um, but also just to kind of, you know, you're thinking about telling a story. How do you keep the reader... You know, kind of going along and wondering, is it going to work or not? I think, uh, what time are we at? I think we're, we're at cruising. an hour 44. Uh, hey, Chris, Crispin, you're back? Yep, I'm back. Tell us that Baxbrook story because you, you cut yeah. out at like the perfect part. Yeah, which story was I, was I interrupted during? Uh, you were interrupted. You were saying, yeah, so Max Brooks came and talked to us in the. Okay, so, so Max Brooks did come to talk to us um, at Army North, and uh, you know we do a lot of disaster uh, relief, defense support of civil authorities. And one of the points he brought up was, you know, we live in an era we are, where we are much more dependent upon government services and, and really one another, right? Nobody is really kind of independent and self-reliant these days. You know, you need farmers, you need electricity, you need, you know, these various services, you need hospitals, roads, etc., and part of what World War Z, um, you know, kind of highlights is that, you know, we rail and we rail and we rail against the government, um, you know, to the point where we have people watching the military doing training exercises during Jade Helm because we think they're going to overthrow the government for some strange reason. And uh, yet 
we are more reliant upon the government than ever. And, and it's just that paradox that we fall into. We rail more against it, but we are more dependent upon it. I think, I think as a society. railing part, I could perhaps, and I, I mean, Jade Helm is just sort of ridiculous. I mean, that was just ridiculous. But on a much more minor, let's say like normal people kind of thing, uh, is that, uh, you know, maybe a lot of that railing is just they're like, I don't want to have the government rely on this. Like maybe people want to rely more on, you know, people they know or whatever. Because, I mean, we look at it, kind of look at cable, you know, like my crappy cable here in Norfolk. Uh, I don't have a choice. Now, I've got one company. I'd love to have choices, and I'd love to be able to decide. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that they don't know what the choices would look like. You know, but they just look at it and they say, I've only got one choice, and uh, this choice kind of sucks. I wish I had more. And so, you know, they look at they, – they're not even looking at necessarily that, well, what would come in its place kind of thing. Because, you know, we all complain. We, we, we all complain, and we don't, we don't necessarily have a new version. We just know the version that we have now is not something that we like. Closing thoughts. Um, I'll start with mine here. So uh, after this conversation – as I was playing the game, I just stopped because everyone here is so depressing and negative. They made me realize that the game was not as good as uh, as I thought it was. So it is now packed up and uh, ready to go back to the game store when we're done here. And uh, I'll purchase myself some Rainbow Six Siege because that's that. Let's be serious. So that's legitimately going to be way more awesome. Um, so yeah, thanks for ruining the game, everybody. I was having lots of fun. I was enjoying it, and you made me realize that it was not so great. So uh, thank you for that. August, I'm gonna say this is a keeper. Actually, you're gonna come yeah. home at like 2:30 in the morning, and you're gonna want to play some Star Wars. You're gonna want to fly an X-wing, and uh, you know it is just simply a pretty enjoyable game. And, and again, the nostalgia is there, and it's uh, I think it's I think it's worth holding on to for that perspective. I really. Uh, Appreciate a chance to, to do the podcast with you guys. It was a lot of fun. Well, you're you're a member of the team now, uh, so you know we, In other we words, expect you've been drafted. No. <laughs> yeah, you've been you've been drafted uh, to the real time strategy team, and you know everybody. If you're you're listening, do go try to look up the Atlantic Council's Art of Future War project. Uh, August Colons people have some really great stuff. My my personal favorite, of course, being those posters for Ghost Fleet. I mean, those are amazing. Uh, those are really really awesome. Uh, posters, and I think you guys are missing an opportunity to have them sold at a store of some kind. Just and saying. I gotta work on that. I gotta work. I on would that. buy those things framed. Get at least one of them for my brand new uh, bouncing baby boy, and put them in here. Then he'll just grow up. <laughs> he'll grow up with a uh, a poster of Pearl Harbor in flames and an upside down American flag that says victory at all costs. And he'll grow up knowing that that is our family philosophy. Nope, my wife is waving her finger. She says no to that one. All right, so Brett. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I'm not going to be as harsh as uh, harsh as Matt. Well, maybe I am. I mean, it's a fun game. It's Star Wars. You get the blasters, but uh, I think out of all the games we've done for the podcast thus far, this has been, in terms of like lessons learned, this one has kind of the. Yeah. The the least, I try. but um, yeah. So maybe you may have more fun with Rainbow Six Siege, but we'll do an episode on that as well. So yeah, so that you'll know. But uh, Chris Carter General's next, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I have to agree. Um, it, it's a fun game, but I think it's going to uh, wear out quickly. Um, there's not a whole lot to get strategically out of this game that you're yeah. not going to get out of any other first-person shooter or any other shoot 'em up. 
so there's that. But I mean, the the graphics are spectacular. I look forward to playing some of the uh, Force Awakens levels when they're uh, finally unlocked. And uh, I don't have that many Xbox games, so this one is definitely going to be uh, one of my favorite Xbox games for quite a while. It'll be the Xbox game that. You yeah, play. I've got that. I've got Tomb Raider, and that's about it. What? You have Tomb Raider? Why do you have Tomb Raider? Well, not, I, I thought it'd be cool to play Lara Croft, no and it's kids. like... I, I thought it'd be cool to play Lara Croft, so, okay? So I'm going to do, do a shout-out. You guys, for the Tomb Raider, if you guys want to waste eight minutes of being entertained, YouTube uh, Conan O'Brien's inter- or, or review of Tomb Raider. It's very... Is this where he tries to play games, and he's never played games before? Exactly, And yeah, he tries to do jumping puzzles. Let me guess, it's a jumping puzzle. Well, yeah, but his favorite part yeah. of Tomb Raider was he's like, he's like, you know, he, so he's watching. He's like, "Good job, Square Enix. I love this third-person view because you could see the entirety of Laura Croft." <laughs> <laughs> but I think with that, I mean, uh, I think we're we're wrapping it up. So, Absolutely. thanks again for for Matt. Do you want to close out? Uh, yeah, sure. You know what? But I liked your instinct. So, as everybody knows, eventually Brett will uh, take over this project. As uh, a huge chunk of my bandwidth starts getting taken up by a tiny person, um, but uh, yeah, if you've if you've enjoyed this podcast, and we'll pick some better games. So you know we've gone off the rails a little bit today on talking about the game itself, but I think it was definitely a worthwhile discussion of of some of the plots and some of the themes and inspirations between Star Wars, the Star Wars games, and and some of that history. So uh, I think today's podcast was pretty solid, and if you think so too. Uh, I would invite you to reach out to your friends and uh, associates that like this kind of stuff and maybe ask them to subscribe. You know, this is a new project. We're really excited about it, and, you know, we'll do it either way. But it is always nice to have new people bringing new topics to the table, to go on iTunes, of course, and give us a five-star rating and uh, leave a little comment there. So this is a community project. If you have ideas... Email them to me at uh, president at cimsec.org. And um, Brett Perry, of course, is our membership secretary. And you can email him at membership at simsec.org. And we're both, you know, we're both open and willing. We're both really excited to hear uh, hear your thoughts and hear the games you want to talk about. And, you know, if you want to get involved in the podcast and uh, you want to talk about it, well, hey, you Send us a proposal and uh, maybe we'll we'll bring you on because you know you've seen we've got about seven or eight guys here on a rotating basis. We got uh, Brett uh, August and uh, Crispin here at the end. Lucian unfortunately had to drop out and we don't know where Marigi went, but uh, we got a lot of people and we have no problems adding more and uh, everybody's got something interesting to say. So uh, unless Brett, you've got anything else, I think we can close this sucker up. That's it. May the force be with you. Oh, he's. And also uh, with you. Oh, ah, I got him. <laughs> <laughs>